Hello and welcome back to our daily devotional podcast. Today we want to continue looking at Paul in Ephesus. Let's look now at Acts chapter 19 and we'll read from verse 8 to 12. Acts chapter 19 verse 8 to 12. Let us pray. Father, we ask that you speak loudly and deeply into our hearts. That even as we hear your word, we may respond to you. That our hearts may be shaped by your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter, eight, Acts chapter 19 verse 8 Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles to Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and the illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today I want to share with you three thoughts. First thought is that our resistance to change may resist also God's new work. Our resistance to change may resist God's new work. We read here that Paul had been preaching in the synagogue for three months. I suppose that Paul was preaching every day because later on when he was in the lecture hall at Tyrannus, it says that he had discussions daily, which means then that Paul probably worked weekends or he worked um, in the mornings and then taught in the afternoon. And I don't think it would be any different when he was, from when he was in the synagogue as when he was in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So let's say that Paul taught daily in the synagogue and for three months, he was persuasive and people did not fight him. They were open to him. And there is good reason for that. Because Jesus was a Jew. Much of Paul was a very um, very religious Jew as well. And so much of what who Paul and Jesus were were the same people. Jesus was a Jew, he practiced Jewish culture, he lived as a Jew. And the things that he preached, like resurrection of the dead, those were exactly the things that the Jews embraced. And I suppose then that they found nothing wrong with Jesus. There were many prophecies from their scriptures, the Jewish scriptures, that pointed to Jesus and that was believable. But as in some other places or many other places, the crunch came when Paul said, that the gospel was for the Gentiles as well. It wasn't just the gospel, but it was God's plan, God's love, God's ways were also for the Gentiles. And this then was offensive to the Jews. If the Gentiles were willing to become Jews, um, converts, if they were willing to go through the Jewish customs, to be circumcised, to follow the traditions of the Jews, then that was all right. We welcome anyone who becomes like us. But for Paul to say, no, the Gentiles will come into God's plan, are God's people, God's chosen people, and they need not be circumcised, they need not follow any of the traditions of the Jews. They are still God's beloved. This was a stumbling block to the Jews. In many of the places, this was the reason that the Jews threw 
apostles out. And I would suggest that this was also the reason why after three months, they were obstinate and they rejected the way and they maligned the way. Not because Jesus was alien to them, but because God's embrace of the Gentiles was alien to them. The embrace of Gentiles was a move, was a change too great for the Jews to accept. They, ha they were happy when they were left in their old ways. They were happy just to embrace Jesus if they could keep the traditions. But to open their faith up, their community up to people who were different from them was a stumbling block. We see this very much in history of the church as well. John Wesley was a well-known preacher. He was loved as an Anglican priest. He was a good preacher and people embraced his teaching until he insisted that the poor be included in the church. In those days, Christians would pay sponsor for the seats. We do that too in many churches. You see the back of the pews that says, sponsored by so-and-so. The good thing now is that even if you sponsor a pew, you don't you can't demand that that's yours. But in those days, they could. You could say, this is my pew and that's his pew. And when John Wesley brought in the poor, there were no seats for them, no space for them. And then the law in England then forbade preaching outside of the church. And so while John Wesley could not bring the poor into the church, he could not go out to the poor. There was nowhere he could go. He ultimately stood on his father's grave to preach because that belonged to the family his own father's grave, and so he could stand there and he could preach legally. But the church had resisted the movement of God, the very powerful work of God in bringing the poor into the faith. There's a modern day, or rather quite modern day example too. In the 1970s, there was a powerful revival in Anglo-Chinese school. Anglo-Chinese school, of course, was also where the headquarters of the Methodist church and it was, well, it wasn't then, but it was the flagship, the main school of the Methodist Church. And of course, it was the pride and joy also of the Methodist Church. And I should think that the bishops and the pastors and everyone had been praying for God to work in each of the boys that came to school. And one day as the boys were praying, a group of boys were praying under the clock tower, a mighty revival came upon them. The Holy Spirit just poured himself into the boys. And many began to fall, to repent of their sins, to speak in tongues, to prophesy, to praise God. And they spent hours and days doing that. In fact, this revival spread to many other churches, many other schools, eventually. But the reaction from the authorities, from the teachers, especially from the chaplain, from the pastors, was very adverse. They looked at this revival and they thought, this is trouble. We don't want fanatics in our church. In fact, it became a national problem, judging from the letters, because in those days, the government was just starting out and they were looking to ACS to provide leadership, the cream of the crop, to become the next batch of leaders. But if the next batch of leaders were Christian fanatics, praying throughout the day, fasting, um, praising God, worshipping God throughout the day, that spelled trouble for the nation, so they thought. And so the school outlawed the, the students from and stopped the students from worshipping in the school. These students were undaunted and they went out 
into public places. They found places, homes, people's homes, that would welcome them. And they continued their growth. Eventually, of course, many pastors, Methodist pastors, came out from this group of re- this revival. But the initial rejection was obvious. The bishop and the authorities were frightened that this move of God would disrupt their status quo. God continues to do his work in our days. We don't know what it is at the moment, but what we want, what I ask of you, is that when there is a new move of God, then to examine the scriptures, I'm not saying that you embrace everything, every new thing that comes, that would be disastrous. But for every new move of God, we need to read, refer to the scriptures, to watch the things that people are doing, whether they are godly, whether they are filled with grace and filled with the Spirit of God. And as we examine them, then we need to open ourselves to receiving and to embracing the new movements of God. Otherwise, like the Jews in Ephesus, we may close the door to ourselves from the wonderful things that God is doing. Our resistance to change may result in our resisting the Holy Spirit and the work of God. The second thought I want is that to leave with you is that when the Spirit of God comes, people are hungry for the Word. It says here that in verse 9 that Paul had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus, Bible study every day, learning about God every day. There was clearly hunger. These days we find it a chore often to even read the Bible. And it's tedious to many of us. And yet as the Spirit comes upon us, we will long to know God, we will long to read the Bible, we will long to find out more about God. And I pray for that day to come soon. And in fact, among the staff and leaders, we're preparing for that. We're going to reopen the church library pretty soon, as soon as COVID clears, and as soon as, more importantly, we clean up the library and get the books in order, choose good books. Because I think for many years, we've stopped reading books. And that would be a detriment to us. But I pray then that as God's Spirit comes upon us, that we will once again want to know whether it's from e-books, whether it's from videos or podcasts or from uh, hard copy books from the library. I pray that that deep hunger to know God will be revived and we will want to read and know God, whether it is the Bible or books written on the Bible by good writers. But there will be a hunger for God and for the knowledge of God when the Spirit comes upon us. The third thing I want us to think about is that God tailor makes his miracles to the situation. Here in Ephesus, it says in verse 12, verse 11, that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were taken to the sick and the illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. Now, note here that Paul, the Luke writes that God did extraordinary miracles. So it's not a day-to-day thing. It was not garden variety, not the normal thing that Paul was doing. It was something out of the ordinary and only in Ephesus. Sometimes we want to 
imitate the many miracles. We hear of um, anointed, so-called anointed faith healers who are then selling merchandise, selling holy water, selling handkerchiefs, selling towels and scarves that have been touched by them. But we make that mistake. The, the power was, it does not reside in that faith healer. The power did not reside in Paul. Paul could not have done any of these miracles anywhere else. It was just in Ephesus that Paul did, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. On his own, in other contexts, Paul could not do any of these things. And why then did God choose to do it in Ephesus? You see, Ephesus was like the stronghold of pagan worship, of idolatry. The temple of Artemis was there, as they call it, the great Artemis was there. This god or this idol ruled the city of Ephesus and many surrounding areas. We see also a lot of sorcery. In the next few verses, we read about sorcerers who did who impressed people with magic. And so these were this was a city that was full of magic, full of idolatry. And God had to convince the people, the inhabitants, that he is far more powerful. He had to work in a way that would allow people to know that it's not just rhetoric, it's not just talk, but that it is by power, and a power far greater than the powers that Artemis or the sorcerers could do. Remember when Moses was in Egypt, many of the Egyptian magicians also could do miracles. Which was why God brought on the plagues, because these were plagues that the magicians could conjure up as well. And God wanted Pharaoh and the Egyptians to know that, yes, your magicians can do it. My messenger does it even more powerfully. And this was what God did through Paul in Ephesus. Powerful, extraordinary miracles. But the reality is that God tailor-made these miracles for the situation. That's what's important for us to know that God still tailor-makes miracles for each of us. The Bible tells us that God, that God gives us the desires of our hearts. Often we pray only one way, God, heal this person, heal him, heal her. Because we assume that healing is the ultimate of God's blessings. And yet in the Psalms, the Psalmist writes, first of all, that we are to delight in the Lord and He will give us the desires of our hearts. He also says that God gives the desires of the hearts of all creatures. And so God looks at each of us and asks Himself, what does this person really need? What's his deepest desire? And often we pray for someone and say, God, heal. And yet the person who is ill may not really want healing as the ultimate she may long to be loved. She may long for forgiveness. She may long for reconciliation with her friends. And that is the ultimate joy of that person. And so just physical healing does nothing. In fact, God may say, well, I will restore your relationships. I will build you up. And then I will take you home to myself. But what I will leave behind is joy. Joy and love between you and the ones you have been reconciled with. I worked with many death row prisoners. 
Most of them were not afraid to die. Most of them longed to restore the relationships, the broken relationships with their wives, their parents, their children, their siblings. Often when I asked them, what do you really want in heart of hearts? It would not be I want to be reprieved because that means going back to an old life. But what they say is I want my relationships to be healed. And we work towards that and so often, ever so often as I watch God work, I see Him healing broken relationships, restoring them before these prisoners are executed. Sure, I would love both things that they be um, re- re- receive a reprieve as well as, as well as the healing of the relationships. But we don't know why, but sometimes, like, often God just takes them home. And so it is with miracles. For some, we pray for healing and we see miraculous healing. For others, we see healing and there is no healing. But if we were to watch the work of God in their lives, if these people are open to the Spirit and they delight in the Lord, we will see that even in their pain, even in the eventual passing away, there is so much healing of the heart, so much healing of relationships, there is so much love around. I remember one lady in Barker Road, she was such a God-fearing, loving lady, she was so generous with everything. And as we watched her deteriorate in great, great pain, we saw the ladies of the church just gather around her day, 24 hours in the church, just praying for her, loving her, nursing her. We knew she would go and we just agonized over her pain. But even then, we saw the hand of God in her joy, that each time someone went to see her, she would, she would encourage them, she would cheer them up, even make them laugh, even in the midst of her pain. And there was so much love as we gathered. Eventually, God took her home, but we learned deep lessons of love, even in the midst of pain. And so we do not want to emulate or imitate everything that we see God working in the book of Acts. God is very creative. He did different things, in fact, in the book of Acts. Different miracles in different circumstances. I think in some places there were hardly any miracles. There was much debate and much study of the Bible and much uh, discussion. In others, it was just a show of power. But God tailor makes his miracles to our circumstances. What we need to learn then is to be still before God and we say to God, God, do to me satisfy the desires of my heart, give to me the things that I truly long for, and then you do your work in our situation. And that then brings me to my final point about agape in Taman Jurong. Often we feel a a need to do outreach, and indeed we need to, because if God brought us to Taman Jurong, we'd jolly well be doing work for Him. But what we fail to recognize often is that God doesn't do everything in the traditional, conventional ways. We need then, first of all, to watch, to walk around it, to know the needs of the community. Perhaps the biggest need of community is reconciliation in marriage, parenting. Perhaps it is in the healing of hearts. Perhaps it is in the healing of bodies. We're not sure yet, but we can watch the, the, the people whom God brings to us for one even as we worship every week, even as we do our daily stuff, 
If we begin to see God bringing certain types of people, it doesn't mean then that that's it. But it means that we put our energies to ministering to the needs of those who come to us. And as we do so, we see that this grows. I remember our church in Oasis, the part of Barkerud Methodist Church. And I heard then that uh, they had started a small Vietnamese ministry. And as a PIC or Barker, I was pretty upset initially because I heard and I thought, hey, just because you guys have a Vietnamese staff doesn't mean you just go along and, and start a Vietnamese ministry. That's waste of resources. That was what I thought initially. But as I watched and as I listened to the leaders there speak, I saw what was happening. That one or two Vietnamese students had come and then they needed help in tuition. And so it wasn't a big ministry, it was simply the staff helping them to get through their studies, to get to study in Singapore, get through those exams, entrance exams, to get to study in Singapore. And then as they helped these few kids, more parents heard of it and brought more kids, and more and more. And then they discovered that they had to minister to the parents too, as these were blended marriages, often Vietnamese mother with Singaporean fathers, and often there was so much abuse as well. And it became a Vietnamese community. Thank God for the Vietnamese uh, staff, Anna, who was there to lead the charge. But everyone chipped in. And before long, it became a powerful Vietnamese ministry. And then it spread on to other children. But that's the way God works. We don't know where He leads very often. What we can do is to respond as God brings people to us, as God brings needs to us, and we do our best, we give of our best to whatever God brings to us. And then when God sends us out, we give of our best as well. And watch God tailor make His miracles and His power in our midst, according to the circumstances. So then, three thoughts for today. First, do not resist change. Rather be self-aware and ask, why am I resisting? Is it fear? Is it wanting? To ref refusal to leave our comfort zones? Are we open to the work of God when it is truly a good thing that God is doing? Secondly, when the Spirit comes upon us, there will be a deep hunger for knowledge of God. And let's continue to pray that this will happen to us. And third then, to watch God tailor make His ministry and His power in our midst whether individually in our lives or collectively as a church. Let us pray. Father, speak your truths to us, that we may live our lives in peace and in rest in you, knowing, Lord, that you work mightily among us, even as we rest in you, even as we pray and long for your work, that, God, we will be restful as well, to know that you will do the mighty work. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you very much and God bless you and have a really wonderful weekend. Goodbye.